Hello everyone. Welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike. I'm the pastor at WBC. It is brilliant to be with you for this final concluding part of our look at the letter from James in the New Testament. Uh, we'll look forward to reading that in a moment. We're going to pray first uh, and then we're going to have a good look at how James rounds off his letter, uh, how he revisits some of his key themes uh, and what we might take away with the Spirit's help from it. Let's pray first. Father God, we trust ourselves to your tender care, but also to your mightiness. Lord Jesus, we trust ourselves to your desire that we might learn from you and become more like you. And we want to plug into that, to seize hold of it, to be empowered by it. And Holy Spirit, we know that uh, Paul was speaking through your inspiration when he said he longed to present disciples mature and so we pray that we might mature through your influence holy spirit uh, in what we look at today and so in the name of the father and of the son of the holy spirit amen right then let's have a look at our text we're reading from verse 7 to the end of the chapter in james chapter 5 so let's read together be patient then brothers and sisters until the lord's coming See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is, any, uh, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What an absolutely jam-packed section that is. It doesn't follow some of the patterns of other letters in the New Testament by having a nice, tidy, sort of rounded off. Uh, quite often Paul's letters finish with greetings from him and from some of those who are with him uh, for requests from him to pass on greetings to particular individuals. James doesn't do anything of that kind of interpersonal stuff. But what he does do is really bring home his key message. And his key message, from my point of view at least, and I hope having walked through this with me, you'll see where I'm coming from, is that faith 
goes to work. Faith puts its boots on. Faith responds and gets its hands dirty and does things. And not only does faith do things in the life of the individual, but actually the faith response is a community response. Look at all the ways in which he talks to this church or group of churches as brothers and sisters. And he uses that phrase over and over again. So we see it in verse 7, we see it in verse uh, 9 and 10, and again in 12. And then he keeps going on about um, ways in which um, things happen among you. And he finishes in verse 19 again with brothers and sisters. There is a community response of faith to circumstances. I remember a few years back, um, the phrase, quite, quite a number of years back, the phrase political correctness came through. And there were elements of our mainstream media that really struggled with the idea of things being politically correct. I think um, the, the response was kind of, why do we have to go through all this fuss and trouble? And then I came across uh, some years later, someone who said that actually um, politically correct, political correctness was just a way of demonstrating respect. Respect based on the person we were talking to or about, rather than just respect to how we feel. And I've, I was quite taken with that, the idea that, um, that a concept like that might be actually well expressed in a phrase, even if the phrase becomes unpopular because it's a bit harder work to always be politically correct, to always be respectful of the people you're talking with or about. Here in verses 7 to 20 of um, James 5, I think what we see is a phrase that's almost noticeable because it's assumed rather than spoken. And it's a phrase something like, as an expression of faith. So let's have a look at verse 7. As an expression of faith, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. As an expression of faith, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. I'm just going to pick out another verse. Um, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. As an expression of faith, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray as an expression of faith. You see how it just seems to be everywhere. And we know that this has been James's driving force in this passage right the way back from the very, very start. The whole thing has been about how faith is a active, participating, involved, engaged, um, proactive thing. It's not something that you just agree with or just think about it's not something that underpins your philosophy it's something that works its way through who you are and what you do and there are several specific ways in which James wants to talk to us in these final verses about how that is actually expressed now it's at this point I need to give you a little illustration you won't know this unless I tell you but this is my fourth attempt at recording this talk my fourth and usually it doesn't take me more than one or one and a bit. So I might record the talk in one go, but feel the need to add or tinker with a couple of bits and pieces that might get inserted. Or I might stop after 15 minutes and um, because the last two or three minutes haven't been quite right. So I'll go back and start that section again. So usually it's fairly straightforward. Four goes is a big deal for me. And in the middle of this, I've felt a bit frustrated because it's taken longer than I wanted to and I wanted to be getting on then with doing all the editing and processing and uploading bits of 
technical bits and pieces too. And so here I am a little bit behind where I wanted to be. So I've spoken to my wife and one of the things that she has said is you need to stop and pray and make sure that you are settled with the Holy Spirit, with what you're saying, whether it is what needs to be heard. And so I've ended up with this set of notes, which is quite different from this set of notes, which is my, what my first three attempts were about. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, because um, in verse 13, James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. At the heart of this passage, there's this little thing that says the faith response to your circumstances. If you're in trouble or probably more accurately, if you are feeling troubled because it's put in contrast with being happy. If you're feeling troubled, stop. Express your faith in praying. Check in with God. Get his perspective. And as a result of doing that, as a result of being accountable to somebody else, to another disciple, I have not completely rewritten, but certainly sort of given a fresh look at what my notes were and what I think God is wanting to say to us. Faithfulness, exercising our faith, is not an isolated, lonely, individual thing. It is a community thing. You'll notice if you go back to chapter two that where James is talking about favouritism, he's talking to a, a, a church organisation, a group of disciples who are in community with each other, and the way in which they go about expressing that community. Faith is a community thing. And again and again, right the way through this, the way we express our faith in what we do or what we say and how we behave or how we talk is something that is intensely relational all the time. I need my brothers and sisters in order to be faithful. I need them to help me to stay accountable. Anyway, I've got these new notes. I'm going to stick with them. Faith gets its hands dirty or maybe it gets its gloves on first but it certainly gets busy faith puts its boots on faith influences the way that we do and think and talk faith is particularly expressed james says here in patience and in hope and in prayer So we find ourselves looking at these, this passage, and, and I, I know I've, I don't want to be looking at jumping the gun from verses 7 to 12, but we'll have a look at verse 13. Is any among you feeling troubled? Pray. Is anyone happy? Sing praise. Is anyone sick? Call people to pray with you. Anoint them with oil. Prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, I, I don't want to skate over this bit. I think it's really important, but it isn't the subject that we're talking about today. When we talk about um, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. We are not guaranteeing that the human healing we're expecting will necessarily take place. God remains mysterious. There are definitely plenty of ways in which I yeah, want to have a sharp word with him sometimes. I was with someone recently who in prayer um, said, God, what's going on with this? How, how are you present in this? We need you to show up. And it's not about criticising God, but it's about following the psalmist's um, uh, pattern, the kind of the, the, the lead that they give us, that when we are 
uncertain, unhappy or feeling the, the mystery of God, that we go to him rather than going away from him, but that we absolutely can go to him with all our frustration and struggle and difficulty and say, what on earth is going on here? And that doesn't, again, mean that we, we won't necessarily get the answer we wanted, but we do put things in the hands of someone who, despite the mystery, that Father God is compassionate. And we can bring our faith and our hope and our love, just thinking about how um, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but our faith, hope and love in this same Father, in this same Jesus. So faith will get its hands dirty and it will be expressed in prayer and also in hope and also in patience. So you'll see at the beginning of this section, so 7, 8, 9 uh, and 10 and 11, and there's a lot about patience and perseverance. Um, specifically, we see Job referred to, but we also have James describing, as Jesus would, would usually with agricultural um, illustrations, would say that there's a way of being patient that has to do with recognising that there is something, there's a bigger picture, there's a longer road to travel on. There's a there's a perspective which we have because of our faith that maybe others do not have. We have a certain hope that Jesus will return. This same Jesus who came to be human, to show us what true humanity looked like, but also to be God, to show us what God is like and what God's character is. That same Jesus who was willing to give up his own life in order to repair damage that kept us apart from God. That same Jesus who rose again from death, from the, the appalling torture and execution which he, he went through so that he could be a substitute for us. That he rose again from dead after that. The Father raised him so that life might triumph and we might inherit that life which is fulfilled. When we say eternal, we don't particularly want to be thinking uh, about how long something lasts. We want to be thinking about its quality its fulfilledness, its, its removal from a place of potential decay or, or destruction or erosion. Because in eternal life and fulfilled life, those things don't happen. The goodness of the life we're given continues and thrives. This same Jesus is the one in whom we have hope. And so we are patient because we are confident of that hope. Perhaps it might help us to think of it in terms of queuing for a ride at a, at a theme park. Maybe that's not your kind of thing, but maybe it is. When you queue for a ride at a theme park, it can be long and sometimes boring. Um, certainly it can eat up a lot of time and it can feel like it's going on forever. But you do it because you know that at the end of that queuing process is something fabulous and exciting and wonderful that makes it worth it. I have that feeling as we get through January, February and March and we come towards the points where British summertime is about to come uh, again and the evenings will be lighter. I, I earnestly look forward to that because I love those lighter evenings. But I have to wait. And in February, that's really hard because Christmas is long gone and the end of March is still a while off. Patience is an expression of faith, partly because it pairs up with hope. And we put our faith in Jesus 
by being patient. Interestingly, one of the things that James is quick to add to that in verse 9 is don't grumble against each other. Most commentators say that this is, um, this is about a sense of um, feeling sort of emotionally frayed, uh, worn down by the experience of, of waiting and so being um, frustrated by others. Those of you who watch um, ITV show, what's it called? Uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, will know that when those celebrities go into the jungle, there is a sort of early phase where they're just getting to know each other and there's a lot of warmth as people sort of encounter each other for the first time. And then there's a sort of second phase where people work out what they don't like about each other and what they find frustrating. And it's that phase that can be really difficult for disciples in community. We need to be able to say, I, I will hold fast. I will show some resilience and patience with others. And so I won't gripe and grumble about them. Now we're people, so it's all too easy, particularly behind closed doors, to have a good old whinge about people we find difficult or awkward or whose perspectives are different from ours. And it, this grumbling from James that he's talking about includes that. It's not just when you moan at people, it's also what you take away and talk about behind closed doors, how you, um, how you refer to those people who you find difficult when they're not around too. You'll notice that uh, James says, don't grumble against each other or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And, and I, don't, I don't read that as a kind of, um, you know, the judge is hiding around the corner waiting for you to slip up. But it is a way of saying, um, you're never far from where Jesus is. Jesus can, it, Jesus is aware of how you conduct yourself, of how your faith is lived out um, in all circumstances. He's close by. So we have patience and hope and prayer as expressions of faith. Is anyone among you feeling troubled? Pray. Is anyone happy? Praise. Is anyone sick? Call others and pray with them. And be confident that the Lord will respond. Remember, James has already reminded us that sometimes we don't have what we ask for because we pray with the wrong motives. So actually, because we had the wrong motives, we pray for the wrong things. There's something of that here as well. So I don't think we should ever be um, those who say that if one isn't healed, it's because of a lack of faith. The reality is that there is a mystery of God. And we do well to remember that and to respond to him appropriately. Faith steps up. This is what is happening with the elders. It's what's happening with Job. It's what's happening with Elijah a bit later on. Faith steps up and does things. So, um, faith shows courage. It has to. Faith is a bit meaningless if we're not willing to be courageous. If we're not, we're not prepared to step out and trust that God is with us, what's the point of having that faith in the first place? So faith has courage. Faith is faithful. It, it stands by values. It stands by, it's, it's not just about loyalty, it's about, it's about investing in the things that you believe matter. Yeah, values is a good way, I think, of thinking of that. And faith shows resilience as well. The ability to be in a situation that's difficult and to remain true to the way Jesus calls us to live, to the way the Father wants the world to work to the way the spirit guides us to go 
and to live and to talk. I just wanted to stop very briefly on those three uh, and talk about church examples of courage and faithfulness and resilience. Uh, one of these you'll know, but the other two not so much. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about my friend Dan. He's a pastor in London and he has had to show enormous courage as he puts his faith into action. He has uh, he arrived at a church that said it was really up for missional adventure and change and has in the end not really walked with Dan. And so Dan has had to show a lot of courage in stepping out, doing a lot of things on his own with his family. Uh, and they, the sanctuary of the church that they are in, still in at the minute, um, has been transformed. It's become a live music venue, not so much on a Sunday morning, but it, it has the flexibility and the, the space. Uh, it has the appropriate um, technical kit and functions as a place where live music can happen. Because up until Dan's arrival, that church was really a place that was more like a clubhouse for its congregation than it was a space shared by the community. And he's transformed that and really built strong connections with his community, particularly with a whole bunch of families who come in to listen to some of the live music stuff that's for, for children on a Saturday morning. It's also become a space used by a, a local um, craft market. And so that space has become somewhere that is a place of worship and, and unashamedly so, but also a place for everyone. Dan has showed his courage as the church has not walked with him, but he's stuck with what he believes God is calling him to do. Secondly, uh, it's a guy called Greg, uh, who I think has now retired, but he was one of my mentors when I was at college. And he talked about when he was early in his ministry about a church he went to. Um, he was there for placement, so he was there for a little while. It might have been the first church he was at after he was ordained. I'm a bit, a bit hazy on the details. But he said, look, we've got a whole bunch of people in our community who aren't, oh, we can't reach on a Sunday morning because they're doing other things or they're in other places. How about we move our service to Sunday afternoon and see how it goes? We'll give it a few months. So they did that. And the congregation doubled in size. They went out and, and talked to the local community and said, if you've got children and you're at sports clubs on Sunday morning, why don't you come to church on Sunday afternoon? We'll do it in a way that really works for you. And their congregation doubled. And after a small number of months, uh, Greg went to the members of that church and said, right, this is what's happened. Let's have a little look at how it's gone. Uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay with this church meeting in the afternoon or not? And they said, yes, it's been fabulous. It's been wonderful. We've been really encouraged by it. Now let's go back to doing things on Sunday morning. And he was stunned. He ab absolutely respected what they suggested that he did. That he had to show faithfulness to what he believed was right for the community that he was looking to serve, for the ways in which he believed that Jesus wanted to meet with that community on their terms and in their places. And in due course, Greg moved on. Thirdly, so after courage and faithfulness, thirdly, resilience. Some of you will know Ali uh, Fulford, who's up at Ilfracombe. We have um, raised uh, some money to support the work that's going on up there before. She's a, a pioneer. 
and for some time when she first arrived felt really torn between the pioneering work she wanted to do and the uh, the need to the congregation on a Sunday morning and after some time of, of really running herself ragged trying to look after both um, there was a, a kind of a realization between her and the church that the work she was doing on a Wednesday where they have like a, a drop-in cafe it's a little bit like a new well-being cafe but it isn't actually badged up like that but it's kind of a place where people can come and, and have a safe place to be and it's called the haven and at the end of the haven afternoon it's a day thing towards the end of the day uh, really late afternoon they have what's called haven church so it's like well you know the the, the drop-in space is now finished but we now have church so if you want to stick around you're welcome to do that and haven has gone very well and there are Quite a lot of folks who were part of the Haven, still are part of the Haven Cafe, who were sticking around and now part of Haven Church as well. Hardly any of them have made the step to a Sunday morning, but that isn't the plan. If they want to, that's great. But ultimately, they've recognised that there is a congregation here that works for them, that is meeting in ways that, that suit their needs, that presents the gospel in a way that resonates with them. And so Ali is doing that. And somebody else has been appointed, commissioned, to lead the congregation on a Sunday morning so that Ali can focus on Haven Church. And she had to show resilience. There was a point where she could have said, I'm just going to bail on Haven because I can't do both. So she showed resilience to stuck with Haven and then showed the resilience to work out a solution with the Ilford Queen Baptist Church congregation so that Haven Church could thrive, even while the Sunday congregation continued. There is courage and faithfulness and resilience as faith goes to work. Let's go back to verse 7. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Hope, then, is at the centre of why we are patient and how we are patient. It's at the centre of what we do and how we do it. It's at the centre of why the church is the church. The hope that we belong to is the hope of Jesus' return. And it's a certain hope, not a, not a wild optimism hope. We have a hope that is steadfast and certain. And it's the hope that Jesus will return, that there will be a reckoning. For so many of the New Testament audiences who receive these letters, including, I believe, Revelation, it's hope that is the key factor. Jesus will return. There will be a reckoning. Things that feel unjust now will be put right, because justice will win out. Not only that, Jesus will build his church. So as we look for how Jesus' coming is then fulfilled by his return, so his, his ministry that we read about in the New Testament and the ministry that is to come, in between those two things he is building his church and he builds it on those who declare him. Jesus launched his community like a ship to go out on the ocean of the world and he will be the one who comes aboard as pilot to safely bring it in to harbour. We can have a lot of confidence because of that hope. 
and he will claim his own. So Jesus will return and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will say that to some who we think we are surprised by. There'll be those who Jesus comes and says, I claim this one as my own. And we go, really? And that will happen. Because Jesus doesn't always do things in ways that we already know about or that meet our expectations. We go all the way back, don't we, to the story in 1 Samuel of David being anointed to become king. There's no way that he fitted the anticipated mould of who should be the, a kingly type person. Jesus sees things we don't see. Jesus recognises potential we don't recognise. Jesus will build his church and he will come again and there will be a reckoning and he will claim his own. And in that context, we can, like the farmer, wait for the land to yield its valuable crop. And so if we are waiting with that hope, and that hope is glorious, if we are waiting confident that in the middle of our waiting, our active participating waiting, Jesus is building his church, then we need to be really aware of what we hold on to and how tightly. A friend of mine talks about uh, disciples and the hills they're willing to die on. Where are you going to put your final flag in the ground and say, I will not yield this position? Maybe it's about um, a model of the atonement. You know, penal substitutionary atonement is the only thing that I will accept. So I'll put my flag in the ground and I will say this far and no further, that's the hill I'm going to die on. Or it might be same-sex relationships. I will not ever concede anything on same-sex relationships because that's the hill I'm willing to die on because that's what I think uh, is at the heart of what Jesus is calling his church to be. Or we might say women in ministry, the places they should or shouldn't hold, those might be the things that we say, this is absolutely essential. This is what I will stand for and I will not yield. Can you see how, how my friend with his phrase is, is quite accurate? We come across people who really do choose these things as hills to die on. They draw a line and they say, this far and no further. And that is what they are saying matters the most to Jesus as he builds his church, as he prepares to come again, as we consider the reckoning that he will bring, as we consider who he comes to claim for his own. Maybe it's creationism. Did God make the world in six batches of 24 hours? Or was it something slightly different from that that's well represented by that pattern? Is that the hill you want to die on? Maybe it's the shape that church is. Maybe it's the, the congregation meeting on a Sunday morning like with Greg. Maybe it's not allowing live music in your church sanctuary as Dan has experienced or, or has pushed past. Maybe it's that Wednesday afternoon shouldn't be a separate congregation from Sunday as Ali has dealt with at Ilfracoon. What is the hill that you are willing to die on? Is it biblical inerrancy? As we read 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, um, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Do we read that as something that means that every word that's written has to be considered right or good, even if it doesn't quite match with how we think God works? Or are we willing to look and explore about how we might understand that in different ways? What's your hill? 
What are you willing to die on in your faithfulness, in your resilience, in your um, determination, in your commitment to prayer? What is your hill that you're willing to die on? Or maybe you have several. Or maybe some of them don't need to be hills you die on. Because as we're waiting patiently for Jesus to return and as we're putting our faith into practice, are those really the things that matter most to Jesus? At the heart of all of this is James' reminder to us that as we look to respond in faith, we pray and we praise and we meet together and we pray for those who need Jesus and that we confess to each other that we have a depth of understanding of each other that means that we can do that that there is enough trust that there's no favoritism that we speak so well of each other that we speak so well of each other that's what makes us stand out in a world where criticism is easy cynicism is cheap Maybe that's why we stand out. Maybe that's how the world knows the difference between those who know Jesus and those who do not. Not because of the hills they choose to die on, but because of their patience, because of their hope, because of their ability to put their faith to work by speaking well of each other. Now, I've been talking for a little while, and this is always the danger when you reframe what you're going to do that you end up running on more than you plan to. So thank you for bearing with me. I want to wrap things up uh, and then we're going to ask three questions, but I will try and keep them brief. I just want to finish by saying this. When Jesus calls us to be faithful, when James talks about how faith works, what it looks like, how it's active, what we're being called to is a way of living, not a series of propositional statements that we think we can agree with. It's a way of living. And if it was anything different, then our enemy's priority would not be to shape our behaviour. It would be to shape our theorising. Do you know what? Our enemy, the devil, doesn't really bother too much with, you know, with let's encourage people towards heresy. He's much more interested in getting people to break relationships, to accuse each other, to be unfaithful, either as friends or as um, married people. He's much more interested in seeing people look to build themselves up rather than humble themselves. But all those relational things that our enemy is pushing us towards or away from, why are we so preoccupied so often with the things that we think or don't think when actually faith is about how we do and how we talk? Let's pray and then let's ask those three questions. Lord Jesus, we've heard your brother James in what he wrote to new believers and new churches. We've seen him put his understanding on paper 
and we have been asked hard questions by it. Thank you. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit you have searched us with those questions. And we pray that we would be responsible and courageous in hearing them and looking to answer them. For your name's sake. Amen. Okay, so question one springs from uh, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble or, or troubled? Let them pray. So if you feel troubled, if you feel emotionally strung out, if you feel frayed around the edges, if you feel pushed to your limits, who do you ask to pray for you? Maybe it's one person or two, maybe it's three or four, maybe it's nobody. And if it's nobody, maybe it's worth thinking, who might I ask? Who might I share these things with? Even when they feel like they're just small and niggly. And when they feel big and important too. Who do I turn to and ask them to pray with me when I feel troubled? Question two. Are you courageous? And really that's quite a big wide open question, isn't it? So really want to kind of narrow it down. How are you courageous with your faith? How do you let your faith take you to places that you wouldn't necessarily go? Certainly you wouldn't want to go on your own. And I don't mean locations, I mean ideas. I mean locations maybe, but ideas and concepts and, and ways of doing prayer life and ways of doing mission and ways, of, you know, all kinds of stuff. Right the way down to accountability, which can be one of the things that we most need courage for. How are you courageous? How does your faith take you in ways that require your courage? Question three, what's the hill that you're willing to die on? Or maybe what are the hills that you're willing to die on? And are you willing to share them with the people around you so that you might be honest with them about the things that really motivate you? Or maybe the thing to do is to say, I've identified the hill I'm willing to die on. Do I need to be willing to die here? Is that something that really requires my flag in the ground or line, through, line on the sand or whatever it might be. What's the hill I'm willing to die on? Do I really need to die there? Well that's it from me. It is definitely longer than normal uh, and sort of my apologies. I know that it can be harder to concentrate for longer time and um, sort of um, not entirely apologies because I think I'm here because of the way that the Spirit's been speaking to me uh, about this passage. Please do come and ask questions or send me an email or whatever it might be and check in if there's things in this teaching that you found particularly tricky and uh, we'll look forward to taking a look at a short Advent series uh, which we'll do next. Finally a big thank you to all those who've been involved in Roundtable over these last few weeks that we've been looking at James so that's um, Helen and Jess and Yorath. And uh, as we've said before, anybody wants to get involved just on the study side, just being around the table, even if you're not going to go away and talk about anything. Uh, if you'd be up for that, we'd love to involve you. I'd love to involve you. I'd love to sit down and talk with anybody about what we're, what we're working through with our teaching. So it'd be great to hear from you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. Take care.